Hey, this is Darren Tyler. Thank you so much for joining us at the podcast of Conduit Church. For more information about Conduit, you can go to conduitchurch.com. Sunday. Would you pray with me? Father, as we get into your word this morning, I would hope that you would speak to us individually. That everybody's ears would be open to your spirit and that if, Lord, if you're speaking to somebody and they need to just stop and start writing and just tune me out, that they would do that. Uh, We really need you to show up this morning. You know I'm not a good enough preacher. (laughs) That you would join us and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm not 100% sure how this is going to go, so this could be fun. We started this morning out with the, the, uh, the rabbit dying at home. Uh, the text message, I did post it. My daughter sends me the text message. Uh, this is how you know you've moved to the country. Daddy, the vultures are circling. I don't want them to eat him. What do I do? <laughs> well, <laughs> it would take care of having to dig a hole later, but I didn't say that. I just thought, you know, you think that. Uh, but <laughs> I'm not even sure what happened, but anyway, the vultures didn't get him. Revelation 10, in verse... Eight. A couple weeks ago, we, we really talked about the blessing of not knowing and, and not knowing, because we want to know things about, I want to know everything. And if, if you get a chance, maybe go back and listen to the podcast. If you want to send your love gift in the mail, we'll, we'll be happy to send the, uh, the book and the CD and all that. Or you can just get it for free online, and we'll just be glad to do that for you. But this morning in Revelation 10, John is sort of moving on, and he, it says that this angel that he had heard, this voice that he had heard from heaven spoke to me once more, and go and take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And So when the angel, I'm in the NIV version, by the way, most of you, if you're wondering what version I'm in, I'm usually in the New King James, but I'm going old school. I'm actually using my Bible and not the digital one this morning. And I say that because I'm remembering why I haven't been using this well, because I can't see it right now. My eyes are like, <laughs> I need somebody's arms to hold it further out for me. <laughs> the gray hair is giving it away, but my eyes are failing me. I took the little scroll <laughs> from the angel's hand, and I ate it. And it tasted sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations, languages, and and kings. You know, I got to go see the Fadleys in India a a couple of times, and this passage sort of reminded me of that, the food that tasted pretty good at the time. It was a long plane flight home. (laughs) I remember sitting on this long flight feeling like something inside of me was alive and needed desperately to get out. And I'm, I'm sweating. <laughs> We're somewhere over Iraq, and, you know, you can see, <laughs> you can see the, 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 on the plane the little uh, video screen, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to have to do this at 30,000 feet. <laughs> but at some point, 
what had, what had tasted sweeter, uh, sweet had become bitter, sweeter. <laughs> and it was, it was spiritual darkness is what happened. It was not good. <laughs> Blasphemous. <laughs> but what had become, what tasted good, which the little corn chicken, I don't remember what it was. It was pretty good. Uh, hit me like a ton of bricks. And, and you're thinking, that's awful crass. But that's kind of what he's talking about here. The, the Hebrew culture, interestingly enough, used the, they talked about their bowels a lot. <laughs> like it's like being in Darren's house, like my grandpa's house. When Joseph in Genesis 49, I think, you may have to give me 10 chapters either way on that, talked about he wept from his bowels. You've ever done that? <laughs> if you've been to Haiti, I promise you, you have. <laughs> but it speaks of a, as crass as it is in our culture, it speaks of when you, and if you've gone through grief, you know what that means. It's like a kick in the gut. And it just sneaks up on you. A year later, after your loved one has passed and a song comes on the radio and it's just like it hits you out of nowhere, like a kick in the gut. Joseph wept from his bowels. There's something about that in the Hebrew culture that we, we kind of miss out on. And it's important that we don't, when we're in the Word, when we're in the Scriptures, that we don't miss out on what's going on in it and around us. And Shannon and I actually almost missed it. We were, I missed out on what was going on the other night. We were at, uh, we were at an auction that... Uh, Kyle and Michelle Froman invited us to. We got to sit at their table, and they were doing this uh, auction of Evander Holyfield. It was kind of a cool little thing. And the auction is going on, and they've got some really high-end shotgun, and the bidding is hitting about three grand. And, and I'm like, you know, we need to, Shannon and I don't have a picture. So I lifted my hand up to take the selfie of Shannon and I, and 25, three, three, you got three over there. And the guy that was sitting at our table, Jay, went, oh, put your hand down. They, they think you're bidding. I wasn't aware of what was going on around me. <laughs> it almost cost me dearly. Fortunately, there were guys that, were like, that really wanted to show off there, and so I, I, it went for a lot more than that, but definitely it could have been a... We might have been taking up a love offering this morning, if you know what I'm saying, <laughs> for Darren's ignorance. Having an awareness of what the Word is is, is critical, and he tells him to take a book that would be specifically the book of Revelation. You understand the Bible isn't a book. It's 66 books. It's a library. Forty different authors. All inspired by the Holy Spirit. But you take that book and to eat it, and it would be taste amazing, but then it would become sour in, in his stomach, bitter in his stomach. And I've thought a lot about that this week. Because there's a, a, a lot of us in our body, we're very blessed to have a lot of people that really love the Bible. People that when you've got stuff going on, maybe the tendency is, let's study more. Study the Word. How many of you, if I were to say study to show, so, uh, to show yourself approved, you, you know that's in the Bible, right? To 2 Timothy 2.15. But have you ever noticed that all the later translations, they all don't say study. 
they say, be diligent. Every other time in the New Testament when that word was used, it didn't say study. It says be diligent. In Galatians, be diligent to care for the poor. And Paul, uh, I think it's Titus, I'll be diligent to come to you. All using the same word. And it's possible that this is just semantics. But I wonder if when we wonder why the word isn't working in our lives, if it's because we've turned it into an academic exercise. If you go to the middle of the Bible, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, the absolute middle of the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible, talks about what to do with his word, with his precepts and his promises. Never once does it say study it. It says to keep it, hold it, protect it. Go there later and read it. And sometimes I think what we've done is replaced the idea that we need a seminary degree to actually be qualified because we haven't studied it enough. And when I study it, then it's just like another novel at that point. Might as well go to Watership Down or grab the Ayn Rand book or, and study it. This was a spiritual communication from our Father to us. And when you know that you've got it in you, you know that the Word is hitting you right where it's supposed to hit you. When it tastes sweet and is amazing, but at the same time, it's like a little sour, a little bitter, a little like it's in you. And now it's, forgive it, but you'll never forget this metaphor, cleaning you out. When Jesus stood and looked over the crowds, John the Baptist had just died. He'd been beheaded. His cousin, it was his friend. And it was right after that he goes and he tries to get away so he can, you know, be sad for a little bit. And the crowd followed him. And it says, though, that he was moved with compassion. And I think that once the word is inside of us, not in an academic head knowledge kind of way. It's been said many times by people smarter than me that there are a lot of people that will miss heaven by 18 inches, which is the distance between your brain to your heart. And that if I've just kept it in my brain as an academic exercise, then I don't allow for the power of the word and the miraculous things that it can do in me because I just treated it like it was something I was trying to get through so I could mark it off my bucket list that I read the Bible. Instead of, man, what's God saying to me today? And maybe it's the same verse and over and over and I'm letting it ruminate in it. But one of the ways that you'll know that it's in you is that it will, I believe like Jesus, you're going to have compassion for the sinners. Compassion for those who don't know. It's sweet when I read and I see that, the, 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 that I'm justified by grace, that, that Jesus said if I would just believe that I would... That's sweet. But as it sits in me a while, it turns a little bitter and sour because, man, there are those around me that they just don't know that. I've got neighbors that don't know him. They know religion or they know whatever, but they don't know him. And as the word is inside of me, it moves me like Jesus was moved 
I'm telling you, when I was at 30,000 feet coming out of India, I was moved. There was an urgency. It moved with compassion. For years, I was sitting on the front row, and Shannon and I would sit, or at least front row adjacent. You know, we would tithe religiously, lift our hands at the time of the song when you said to lift. Actually, sometimes I wouldn't lift it at the time it said lift your hands. I would wait in the verse in between so that I would be especially spiritual and didn't lift them just because. Shallow, shallow, shallow. I didn't care about what was going on in Haiti or India. I mean, I genuinely didn't. I mean, I'm, if you'd have asked me, I would have told you I did, but you could have looked at my life and said, oh, never mind. But then one day, something started to change inside of me. Not because I did it or because I wanted it. If anything, it was like, what's this salty discharge coming out of my eye? I don't know what that. Watching, you know, the little, the little late nights and the little poor kids come on, and I would flip the channel and and for a while there, I would actually stop flipping the channel. I would make a little donation, and then I would flip the channel. But the Lord began to stir in, in me and in Shannon that this was, there's more to this. And what was happening was I was teaching the Word to a group of college and young professionals, and, and I was going through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And what was happening was I didn't even get to the part in Matthew 25. And we, we were, you know, but, but the Word was... Sweet, and it suddenly began to get bitter and unsettling, and I was moved to do something, anything, as long as it wasn't nothing. I was moved to help those in need, and I was moved not just to give them lunch. We just found out that it's a lot easier for them to hear about Jesus if their stomach isn't growling really loud. But also that if we are helping them in that way, with the power of the gospel, keeping them alive long enough, being a picture of Jesus clear enough that they'll go out and you know, be evangelists into their own people. Because we were moved with compassion. And there are those of you in this room that you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't some, I'm going to do this thing. It was, well, it was what the Bible said it would be, which was fruit. There's a picture of this in, in Ezekiel. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but Ezekiel was told to eat a scroll in, in chapter 2 to go to these people. And then in, in, in chapter 3, he said, you're going to go to these people, and they're not going to like what you have to say. You're not going to be popular. Incidentally, if our goal is to be popular and then we can reach people, I don't know if you know, A, that doesn't work, but B, it's not the way that he asked us to do it. The truth is not very commercially viable sometimes. But he would say to go tell them this truth. And in in Ezekiel, the word, he ate it, and it talks in verse 14, he went in bitterness. Tasted sweet, and then it sort of turned bitter in him because he couldn't do anything else but go to them. And as we are in the word, whether it's here together on Sundays, and my hope is that you're in the word this week, I don't know where to start. Just pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Don't get into the race. And man, what's, what, what is the word for today? And let it ruminate in you. And, and, and if you've gone to seminary, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make you feel badly that you did that. What I'm rather trying to say is that for the rest of us that didn't feel qualified because we didn't, to say that he didn't ask us to do that to begin with. So we don't have to wait for that to be qualified. 
I look around this room and I see people that have forgotten probably more about the Bible than the disciples knew when he sent them out. First, when he sent the 70 out, he'd barely been with them a year. Yeah, they screwed up some stuff. Oh, this demon didn't come out. Oh, well, okay, here's, here's why and here's what you need to do. And so what a disciple was being about was being apprenticed. And, but for us, for that word to get in us, allow the sweetness, but if it's not turning a little sour in, in motivating you to go and to do and to be, Maybe it's still in your head a little bit. And you don't have to go and force the issue. And make, That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. I take it a step further and say it's the beauty of you don't have to get it done right now or the whole world's going to go to hell if you don't do something. Jesus was on the earth for 30 years before he performed his first miracle. Let the Spirit lead you and take your time and let the Spirit move inside of you and for it to become a fruit inside of you. And like Ezekiel, when it happens, that switch will go off and it's all you can do. And it doesn't, it's not, it means you got to go be a Bible student or, a call, or go to be a professional Christian. The idea of a professional Christian is completely modern. It was not a concept. That, Jesus knew nothing of that. In your world right now, in your family, let that word be sweet and maybe turn inside of you. The other thing that I think it will do is not only bring you compassion for the sinner, but it will actually bring you conviction for your own sin and for what's going on in your own life. What we're experiencing in our society today is that the majority of our young people have decided that they want to be the judge of the Bible instead of letting the Bible be the judge of them. I have a little conversation going on in one of my social networks that uh, there's a lead article on CNN.com about polyamory. Have you heard of this? The idea that we could all live together and it's not just like polygamy, but guys and ladies and we're all together in this kind of weird quasi-marriage thing where we have children together and we're, it's weird but there's a young man that I know that was, you know, I was asking him, do you think it's a sin? Do you think it's missing the mark on it? He's like, well, I don't know that it's a sin. This is a guy born and raised in, in the church. I don't know that it's a sin. It's just maybe it's not God's best, but it's, if, if they're consenting adults. Because we, we would say Romans 1, or Jesus said, for this reason a man will leave his parents and Mary is a woman and maybe but when we become the judge of the Bible then I get to, I suddenly start saying things that, that fit my decisions and my choices and Jesus's idea was the exact opposite of that there has to be a plumb line that says this is right and this is not and in Jesus, I mean, the, the sins, when he talks about sins, when you look at every single one of the things that he asks us to not do, none of them are there because he's trying to be a giant buzzkill. Just that there's consequences. Things happen when, if, you, if you're a single male and a single female and you're having relations before you're married, he said don't do that because your souls would become one. You would, and every time that happens and then you break up and you do it again and you break up, 
Your souls are together, they're torn apart, they're together, and it just becomes divorce practice. So that your soul never knows what to do. And it's wasn't he was trying to be mean. Just saying, this is better this way. Don't steal your neighbor's stuff. You always, I love it when people are like, oh, the law of this. Like, Which one didn't you want? The don't steal one? Is that the bad one? It's sweet, but the bitter part is when it convicts me of, hey, there are some things that I'm doing in my life that maybe are not what his best are for me. And I can either choose to let it become bitter inside of me to the point where it chases it out and cleans me out, or I can hold on to it. And I believe that you know that when you've really in the Word, and the Word is not an academic exercise, when it goes to your heart and you can see clearly, that's probably not the best decision for my life. And a loving God who took care of all of that at the cross for forgiveness, He washes it clean. Your salvation isn't at risk. It's just that there's consequences. Paul would say in Galatians, don't, don't be a fool. That you, you know, if you think that God will be mocked, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And he says, if you sow after the flesh, you'll reap after the flesh. You'll reap a harvest of destruction. And I could look around the room and know some of you that you've had conversations, you know my conversations, that I've had those harvests and you've had those harvests of destruction, and they're no fun. And if you're a young person in here and you're listening to me, you don't want to go to that garden. You can't go in and plant all week and pray for crop failure on the weekend. These are immutable laws of the universe, and if you allow the word to get in you, it will turn sour in you, but to the point where it will push you to a place, nudge you to a place where that stuff doesn't even sound fun anymore. I know it's hard to imagine, but as you begin to grow in life and your walk with the Lord and the transformation happens, that'll happen in your life. There's a picture of this in the book of Numbers. Chapter 5, that is, it's one of those for years I'd looked at and thought, what on earth? But I read it this week in a way that I'd never read it before. The law was saying to a man, if your wife has been unfaithful, or you think she's been unfaithful, there's something not right here, to bring her to the temple. And he said that the priest would, listen to this, this is fascinating. And, and you're going to, like me, going, well, why would he do that? He would take dirt from the ground, put it into this holy water that was in an earthen vessel. So get the scene here. There's this jar of clay with dirt from the ground put into this water that was then to be poured over the lady's head. And it said that if her I think the language here is if her, uh, her belly begins to swell, a little bitterness in her stomach, and her thigh rots, which actually that word was like, well, that's kind of weird. But it actually means to fall, like to trembling, like if her legs are trembling, then there would be something going on in her life in, in sin being exposed, and that she was to then to drink this water, this bitter water. Specifically uses the word bitter. And if nothing had happened to her and she was, there was no sin, she hadn't been unfaithful, then she would be fine. It would be nothing. But if she weren't, it would be bitter for her. It would wreck her gut, so to speak. And I looked at that and thought, how weird is that? 
To be a woman who was accused of something and drug into a temple and accused in front of two or three witnesses of doing something. And even if you did it, you're terrified. And now what? And it, I remember John 8, that there was a woman who was shaking in her boots, that her leg was trembling. She probably would have been unclothed because it was said that she was caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees brought her in and drug her, and it says that they asked him, hey, didn't Moses say that if you should be caught in adultery that you should be stoned? And they lived in an area where they knew that that was true because all around were, when that had happened, the man and the woman were stoned together because of that law in a box, and then a tree would be planted in that box as a reminder to not commit adultery. And Jesus said to them that day, it was said to them, it actually says he didn't say anything. It says that he bent down on the ground. They weren't interested in judgment. If they were interested in judgment, they would have brought the man and the woman. If they were interested in justice, they would have brought the man and the woman together. For those of you that have been mad at what happened with Miley Cyrus, I'm wondering if we're more interested in not justice because we didn't involve Robin Thicke in our tweets. We just hauled her into our court of public opinion. I, do with that what you will. She's brought in. The man is nowhere to be found. They weren't interested in justice. If he said to stone her, he would have been, see, you're not a friend of sinners. And if he would have said to let her go, then they would have said, you're violating the law, the law of Moses. It was a catch-22. And Jesus, it says, bent down and was riding on the ground. The same hand that wrote, thou shalt not commit adultery, wrote in the dirt. And it doesn't say what that he wrote, but I wonder if we know, because there's a clue in Jeremiah 15 when it talked about, you will Write their names in the dirt. Those that set themselves against you, you will write their names in the dirt. I don't know, but I wonder if what he did was he started, he said, let those without sin cast the first stone. I wonder if he was started to write everybody's name that was there. Darren Tyler. And then maybe wrote somebody's name. Maybe he wrote somebody's name and he wrote a hotel room number. But they all started looking going, I'm out of here. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. He didn't violate the law of Moses because it said it would need to be confirmed in the mouths of two or three witnesses. There were no witnesses. Jesus became man. Became an earthen vessel. Paul would say that we are jars of clay, this earthen vessel. It was just a few minutes earlier when he was standing in that temple and said, all who are thirsty, come unto me and I will give you water to drink. From You would flow rivers of living water. Water in the earthen vessel, riding in the dirt. The dirt that the law would have said to pick up and put into an earthen vessel with water and to see if she's guilty and then kill her. But he didn't. <laughs> and he said to her, woman, where are thy accusers? And she said, they've all gone. He said, well, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. And I don't think that was so much of a command 
Go and don't do that again. You, know, you go and sit in the corner and think about what you've done. I think it was a go and don't, you, you are free from that. Don't do, you don't have to do that anymore. Freedom in Christ is freedom from things, not freedom to do things. I'm free from having to wreck my life with adultery. I'm free from that. And so are you. If you've allowed the word to not only give you compassion and conviction, but connection with our Savior. It allows you to be connected to Jesus in a way that those who don't know him don't have. That as the word became flesh and dwelt among us, but in your life as he moves as your earthen vessels, that you'll find yourself in situations where you're going to need some of that living water and need him to ride on the dirt again. And my hope is that this morning that the word is a a light for your path. It's a lamp. That it's sweet because it is the promises of God are amazing. And at the same time that there's some sour to it, a little sweet and sour Jesus, like the Chinese restaurant version of Jesus. That it moves you with compassion, that it moves you to conviction, and it moves you to connect with him. And if you're in a spot where your life is dry, You're not alone. Man, oh boy, you're not alone at all. But maybe it's a return to the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the, the scriptures, that a word that he maybe spoke to you, that you go and hold on to that word. Our problem isn't knowledge. We don't need more knowledge. We've got lots of it. He's saying that we all should be stupid and check out our brain before we go. No, 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 no. I'm, for one, I'm rapidly curious, and I find myself all the time wanting to know more, but the fact of the matter is, is there's some, most stuff that knowledge just becomes a crutch to make me feel like I'm getting something done when I'm, all I do is know more about why I'm screwed. Instead of letting the word become the promise into your heart. As our uh, musicians, will you come back and join us? Jesus offered us one of the things that we can be reminded of with communion of his body, his earthen body, which was broken for us, that earthen jar that was shattered, and his blood that flowed from his side, blood and water flowed. When they stabbed him, he died of a broken heart, blood and water, the fluids of birth. He was giving birth to his bride. And we could be reminded of that as we go to this thing that we call communion. That's a promise of the word. Do this often in remembrance of me. Not do it as a ritual. 
do it as a thing that you have to do, but do it because it reminds you and it allows the Spirit to move inside of you. We have that available every Sunday. One of the conversations we've been having, actually, uh, Benny Prophet, who's with us this morning, is you know, a disciple, Luke 740, said a disciple when he is fully uh, formed, hopefully I get this right, will not be greater than his master, but will be like him. And what did Jesus do? Jesus did what the Father told him to do and say, that's a disciple. That's it. So to you today, I would challenge, what is the Father telling you to do today? What are his words for you? From the scriptures? Or is he speaking to your heart? Hold on to them. Let them ruminate in your soul. Let them be sweet. And embrace them. And let them move through you and clean out impurities. Let them do what he promised to do, which is to transform and to change you. Starting this morning. You don't have to wait till tomorrow, but tomorrow when you wake up, Father, what are you asking me to do and say today? Not, it's already October and I'm so far behind in my one-year Bible that I'm never going to get caught up. I'm still back in Leviticus. Let it go. (laughs) Unless the Spirit told you to do it. Let him speak to you this morning. Get a pen out. Get your smartphones. If he's, Be ready to hear. The promise of the new covenant was that I'll write my will on your hearts and on your minds. You'll no longer need a guy like me to tell you what to do. That's the Old Testament. The new promise was I'll tell you. What is that idea in your mind that jumps in your heart? I'll write my will on your hearts and on your minds. As it relates to your family. What are the things that you need to let the Spirit move out of you through His Word? Is there an anger problem? Mom or dad? Is there a a problem of being just disconnected? In your work life, what is the Lord telling you there? You got a boss that's not fair and kind of a jerk. What's the Spirit telling you to do there? got a career move coming, got a change, you don't know what's happening. What is, what is the Spirit saying to do and say? Don't do anything more and don't do anything less. And welcome to being a disciple. And just like John wrote, that as he would read those words, that it would get inside of his heart and inside of him. It would be sweet and awesome, but it would move him. And it might be that he's pushing you to do something really uncomfortable. That's what he did to Ezekiel. That's what he did to John. It's what he does to us a lot. But if the word is in you, you won't care because all you got to do is go. I got to get it done. I got to move. I got to go. And it won't be a burden and it won't be a bummer. It'll be, no, the spirit's moving me. I'm moving. I got to go. And for those of you that the spirit is saying to sit still, for some of you, that's actually harder and maybe more necessary. I don't know. Spirit will tell you.
Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Word like live uh, rhema word, that one that comes alive inside of us and fights to get out. Changes us and molds us and cleans us out. (laughs) Speak to us in that way. For those of us that are dry, this has been a while. It's your living water mixed with your earthen body, not in a way to condemn us, but in a way to bring us alive. Lord, would you forgive us for making this some kind of like a college academic exercise? You came for so much more than that came to for a relationship you, you in the garden wanted to walk and talk with man and you still want to do that today would you forgive me for trying to exegete that instead of just experience it it's in your name we pray amen